Hey Valley Church, thanks for clicking in. I am so excited. Uh, we are back in the book of Acts. Pastor Quentin crushed it last week and here we are again, Acts chapter 22. Story is so important in our lives, isn't it? I mean, there's story all around us and, and not only is story around us and in our lives, but in scripture, Jesus uses the most powerful form of communication of his time, right? The parable. What he was doing was, was he was telling stories. He was a master storyteller. Why, why did he focus so much on being a master storyteller? Because people just gravitate towards stories. People connect with stories. We love stories, right? I mean, that's why uh, chances are you are uh, sucked into Disney Plus, right? Or you're an HBO Max subscriber. Uh, maybe you've latched on to a very specific YouTube channel because you just can't get enough of the story they're telling. And by the way, story comes in the version of sports and technology and news. Like story is out there. It's one of the reasons Amazon Prime includes Prime Video because they want to get you there with free shipping, but they keep you there with their stories. It's why a lot of cell phone companies include free streaming services like ESPN Plus and Hulu because they bring you in for phones and they keep you with story. We, they know we're going to buy stories, so they're like, if we can give it to them for free, they're going to they're gonna stick around. My kids love stories. Uh, sometimes we just sit around at dinner and they, uh, they start asking me about different parts of my life or they want my wife and I to share uh, stories about specific things. They just shout things out. You know, in Matthew chapter 23, uh, Jesus, I mean, he is the best storyteller and he is telling several parables in that chapter. Matthew 13, it's like one after another after another. Uh, in this one chapter, there's, there's almost like a half dozen parables being shared. Uh, Jesus uh, loved telling stories and people loved listening. And what we learn there in Matthew chapter 13 is that binge watching existed before Netflix even arrived. The people just stayed to listen to Jesus tell stories. Um, you know, Jesus, he was relating to people on a level where they could understand. He, he was so good. He, he used story to more effectively drive his message home. Uh, and, and this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing in Acts chapter 22. Uh, we not only see Paul using his story to point people to Jesus, but this passage is also a fantastic guide for us to follow as we learn how to share our stories with other people. So why don't you turn uh, to the, uh, the book of Acts. We are in Acts chapter 22. And while you're looking there, while you're flipping there, while you're clicking there, let me just tell you kind of where we are. Today we're picking up where Pastor Quentin left off. Uh, you know, he dipped into 22 a little bit. We're going to back up to 21 just a little bit. Uh, and here we find out that Paul, uh, he just, he knew. He had been told time and time again that things are not going to go well for you in Jerusalem. That wasn't a warning for him to stay away from Jerusalem. That was more preparation for when he gets there. He knows things aren't going to go well. Uh, he knew he had to go. In fact, in chapter 20, uh, he is compelled by the Holy Spirit to enter in Jerusalem. It was his time to get there. Uh, and when he gets there initially, Paul is welcomed by the church. There is celebration of his ministry, uh, of how he saw thousands of people come to personal faith and fellowship. They're just following Jesus, all of these thousands of people. And then, uh, I love this, Acts 21, 21. But, you know, they, they celebrated him. They were excited for his ministry, but they have been informed about you. What information could they have learned? 
that would be so shocking that there needed to be this but in the text. I'll tell you this, I was walking around my, uh, my college campus a few years ago, uh, obviously I'm graduated, and, and uh, I bumped into one of my professors. And I said, hey, it is so good to see you. And my professor looked at me and said, hello, Brandon. I heard you were on campus. I'm like, what? What does that even mean? It was so ominous. Uh, it, it was exactly like that for Paul. Like there was this, like we know who this guy is. We know what he's done. But it, it is actually, it's actually much worse for Paul here in the text. Like his ministry and his presence when he entered Jerusalem, it just really just stirred the crowd. They seized him. The crowd wanted to kill him. Like this is not good. Uh, and a commander and some soldiers, seeing that this mob is gathering around, they, wanna, they just want order, so they want to see what's going in there. They get in there, they seize Paul. They're questioning the crowd, they're taking Paul into custody, they just want order. But Paul keeps his cool. He doesn't fight back to the crowd, which is super interesting because I know I would be trying to bust some lips. If a whole crowd was mobbing me, I'm not going to just take it. I'm going to defend myself, but not Paul. Like, he's keeping... His cool. This is amazing. Paul, Paul is always ready to love people, to share the story of Jesus with people, even here with this angry mob. Paul's on mission. Uh, he knows that Jesus isn't out to defeat people. Jesus is out to defeat sin and death. And Paul is trying to mirror that in the lives uh, of these people to show them who Jesus is by the way he is acting and the way that he's talking to them. So, so Paul respectfully asks this, this guard, this soldier, he's like, hey, can I just address the crowd? I would like the opportunity to clear things up. And the soldiers, they were hesitant at first, right? I mean, they wanted order, but they, they thought Paul was like this Egyptian assassin. They thought he was like this 007 assassin. And, and once Paul like spoke to them in Greek and explained that he was actually a Jewish man, not the man that you're looking for, he was born in a Roman territory, it was enough to convince the soldier to give him the microphone. And here's what Paul says. Uh, here's what scripture says. After he had been given permission, like so respectful, he says this. He stood up on the steps and, and he motioned with his hand to the people. I kind of like the visual of that because he was in two chains. I don't even know what that looked like, but he's just trying to humbly get their attention. Uh, he motioned to the people and when there was a great hush, he addressed them in Aramaic. Super respectful here in the text. Uh, they had him in chains and then he speaks in in Aramaic, which is super interesting to the crowd. I mean, it's a, it's a Hebrew language. He's, he's not yelling to get their attention. He's, he's, he's not trying to gain fans by sharing his story. He's just trying to, to grab their attention. He wants them to hear what he has to say. He wants to clear the air, but he also wants to point them to Jesus. And so Paul launches into his story. And if you're a note taker, I'd love it if you'd write this down. Uh, he launches into his story about what he was doing before Jesus entered into his life. Paul starts with who he was before he met Christ, you know, before redemption, before his transformation. You know, he's, he's not really developing friends here. I mean, we want to develop friends. We want to discover their stories. And then we ask God, help me discern next steps. Paul's not doing that right here. But but he is trying to find common ground, which is kind of like a friendship move, right? He's trying to find common ground with his audience. And, and then he's going to use his story to try to bring clarity, but ultimately to point these people to Jesus. 
you and I, we never know how an opportunity like this is going to unfold. And, and I'm sure in the back of Paul's mind, Paul is thinking, I really hope this turns out like so many of my other preaching opportunities, like where I teach the word. I know not everybody is going to respond the way that we hope, but when you look at Paul's ministry, hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands were added to the church's number daily. Those who were being saved, I'm sure that was in the back of his head that, that maybe this preaching opportunity will, will turn out pretty great. So after getting permission, after respectfully asking to speak, he says this, brothers and fathers, again, he's addressing the crowd with dignity. He says, listen now to my defense before you. When they heard that he was addressing them in Aramaic, they became even quieter. Like he's got this defense ready. Paul knows that his story is a defense of the gospel. I mean, he is defending himself, but he's, he, his story is like, Look at the gospel. It's alive. It's active in my life. It's real in our world. And they became even quieter. Like he's, again, he's finding common ground through the language that he's using. He gets their attention and he starts speaking in a proper way. And I really mean it that way. Like it's a, it's a proper language. It's a proper way in which uh, he's communicating to the crowd. You know, in my first few years of youth ministry, I was a middle school pastor and we would take middle school students, like, like dozens and dozens of middle school students south to do vacation Bible schools, uh, you know, for our summer mission trip. And when we went south, I'm telling you, these middle school kids, they were fascinated by, by people's accents. And, and I always told our students, please do not imitate people's accents. You do not want to be offensive. You don't want people to think that you're making fun of them. And I know some of you are like, well, I'm from the South. Like I'm watching in Norwalk. And I'm like, no, I'm talking deeper South than that. I mean, we had this missionary, uh, actually two or three missionaries that lived in the hills and hollers of Kentucky. Uh, we had great relationships with these missionaries. We had great partnerships with a couple of local churches. So at the beginning of one of our uh, VBS mornings, this young girl was out and she was talking to all of our students and we were talking about accents. And I told her, I said, I want you to know, I just love the way that you speak. And she looked at me and uh, she said, I, I actually, and I'm not going to try to do the accent, but she said, I actually like the way that you speak better. And I thought that was really interesting because I never really thought of myself as somebody with an accent. And, and I said this, I said, uh, what is it about my accent that you like? And, uh, and I'll try it here a little bit. She said, y'all sound proper. And my heart melted a little bit because if you know anything about middle school students, there's nothing proper about them. <laughs> like they're just crazy and off the wall. Uh, but the way that she heard us, it was different. And I'll tell you this, this little girl, she had a measure of Southern charm that the, the kids in our group will never have. And we were not more proper than her. But to her, we sounded more like the people she saw on television. And the way that we spoke, even just our dialect, it would perk people's ears up. And when you're in Kentucky and you're running a vacation Bible school, that's part of the attraction. Hey, a bunch of you Midwestern nuts are here doing vacation Bible school. Come out and check these people out. Check out what they're talking about. Paul spoke to the crowd with a level of sophistication. Like he came at them in a way that they didn't expect. And it was one of the things that, that grabbed their attention. Look at verse three. He continued... I just kind of imagine, like, why do you say he continued? I don't know, maybe this is just me, but I imagine like this dramatic pause. He speaks to them in their language. He takes this pause and a deep breath and he says, I'm a Jew. 
Uh, I am born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but, but brought up in this city, uh, educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strictness of our ancestral law. I was zealous for God just as you are. I love this. Like, like he's telling them where he was born. Like, I want you to know where I originated from. And, and by the way, where he originated from, it's a Roman territory. So he's kind of saying, I'm a Roman citizen, just like you, like, or just like you want to be, you know, where the, the crowd may have been mixed. He says, I grew up in this city. Like he is a Jew and he grew up with the Jews and he's educated. I think this is, this is an aha for me. It's just a little word that just kind of buries itself in here. You skip over it and you're like, who is he educated by? But listen, Paul is an educated person. Uh, God uses all kinds of people. God has been using people to reach people for thousands and thousands of years. And this just kind of rings out to me in stark contrast to the way we started our study in Acts chapter four. Look at Acts 4, 13, when we read this. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John, the crowds are looking on at these two disciples and they realized that they were uneducated and untrained. I love that. And uh, uh, the, uh, the original text, the original language, the word is idiotes. And I don't really know a whole lot of languages but when you realize that that original word idiotes means idiots, like these were uneducated idiots, that's what scripture is saying. So God has been using people who are kind of like at the lower end of, of education all the way to somebody like Paul, who is the most pristinely educated person. Like God is using all people because God has been using people to reach people for thousands and thousands of years. And then he name drops. Look back at the Acts chapter 22. He name drops. He says he was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Now everybody knew who this guy was. Like, like this, this guy, he, he was a well-respected Pharisee, which means he was somebody who was following the law to perfection. He was at least trying, and he was holding other people accountable to that as well. But he was also a leader in the Sanhedrin, which uh, is like this judicial position, a judicial authority, kind of like our Supreme Court. This guy was a big deal. And not only that, but he was a master. He was an absolute master teacher of the law. Paul is totally name dropping here. And the crowd would lean in even more. And he closes just by kind of saying, you know, uh, I was zealous for God, just like you're zealous. Like we're the same. We're the same. We have so much common ground. In fact, in verse four and five, he says, in fact, I persecuted the way. He's talking about Christianity. He's talking about following Christ, you know, the way. He says, I persecuted this way to the death, arresting and putting both men and women in jail, both high priests and, and the, the whole council of the elders can testify about me. You know, uh, why don't you go ask people who know the truth about me instead of wondering about all this gossip about me. It's what he's saying. After I received letters from them, to the brothers, I traveled to Damascus to arrest those. Remember this, he's traveling to Damascus to arrest uh, people who are following Jesus. He wants to bring them to Jerusalem so he can punish them. He's on mission, but his own mission, right? Uh, you know, he, uh, he's given his credentials. Like he's in front of this angry mob and, and he's, he's, he's sharing his resume with them. He's presenting to the crowd how much they have in common. It's like he's telling them, we're not all that different, you and I. We got a lot, we got a lot to talk about. We're similar in so many, so many ways. And then there's a little a pivot in his story. And then if you're taking notes, you wanna write this down. He, he starts sharing how he met Jesus. 
like he starts sharing this moment where that was life before Jesus. But then, but then there, was, there was something that happened in my life. And, you know, w- with everybody's attention, he, he masterfully connects with his audience and he starts pulling them deeper into his story. Verse six and seven. As I was traveling and approaching Damascus, remember he was going there to persecute. It was about noon and an intense light from heaven it suddenly flashed around me and I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't know who this is. He doesn't know what's happening. In fact, in verse, in verse eight, he answered, who are you, Lord? And I know it says Lord there. And when we read that in English, we're like capital L it's Lord. But what he's saying is, sir, I don't know who you are. I don't know what's going on, sir. Who are you? And, and he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one you are persecuting. Come on, if you've got your Bibles out, you need to underline that. You need to highlight that. Put a little star by it. I love this because what Jesus is saying here in the text is each and every time you and I have ever been persecuted for our faith and each and every time we will be persecuted for our faith, Jesus is standing there with us. It's like he's looking at Paul saying, if you're messing with my people, you're messing with me. Jesus is taking this personally. I love it. I love it. Paul has been persecuting Christians and Jesus is saying, that's me you're persecuting. And he goes on. He says, uh, now those who were with him, you know, he's traveling with some, some others with him, but they, they saw the light, but they, they, they didn't hear the voice. Those who were traveling with Paul, they knew something was going on. They could see it. They couldn't make out the words, probably can hear some kind of rumbling or, or maybe a voice, but they can't hear the words the voice is saying. They just don't know. And, and then Paul says this. Paul says, what should I do, Lord? There's actually a big shift in the text here. Paul shifts from wondering who's talking to now following who's talking. The Lord told me, get up, go into Damascus. Remember, he was getting up and going into Damascus, the place where he was heading to persecute. And there, you're actually going to be told everything that you have been assigned to do. God has an assignment for him. And he's going to go in and get the assignment. Paul is is taking steps of faith. You know, and God's not giving him every single step. He's just giving him one step. And Paul gets to follow in faithful obedience. It's like he's saying, are you going to follow me? Are you going to trust me? Is this moment real? Verse 11. Since I couldn't see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me. And we went into Damascus. Uh, Someone named Ananias, a, a devout man, according to the law, who had a good, now don't miss this, According to the law, he had a good reputation with the Jews. It's like he's kind of stirring up here. Hey, uh, by the way, there's a lot of people who still follow the law, who love the temple, who might even do some kind of sacrificial sacrifice, but more as a memorial than as a means of salvation. He's following the law. He does things according to the law, but he's a Jew living there. This is uh, maybe a person who Paul was going to go in and persecute, but now Paul is actually going in for rescue. Look at verse 13. And, And he stood by me. And he said, brother Saul, I love that. There's definitely a shift in conversation there. You know, when we think of brother in the scriptures, I mean, we're talking about somebody who's a Jesus follower. Like if you're following Jesus and you're a guy, like you're my brother. That's what, that's what Ananias is doing here. He's saying, hey, brother, brother Paul, 
Saul, he's going to be Paul soon, uh, regain your sight. And in, in that very hour, I looked up and I saw him. You know, Paul was going to persecute, but he actually found some rescue there. And then Ananias calls him brother, which is the biggest of deals. And at this point, we see another shift. If you're taking notes, I'd love it if you'd write this down. Uh, he was sharing now who he was becoming with Jesus. So he shared his story before Christ. He shared this, this amazing conversion story. And now he's heading into how life is like and how life is going to be like with Jesus. Who's he becoming? You know, he, we're not going to hear Paul explain everything that has ever happened in his life. We're not going to hear everything that Jesus is doing in his life. But he's sharing his calling in the next few verses. Uh, the context is the calling of the ministry that everybody already is aware of. Look at verses 14 and 15. And he said, the God of our ancestors has appointed you. This is Ananias talking to Paul. Uh, he appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, Jesus Christ, and to hear the words from his mouth. Verse 15, since you will be a witness for him to all people. Big plans. He's got him on an assignment uh, for all people of what you have seen and what you have heard. Ananias is encouraging him, breathing life into him. God is using Ananias to, to confirm what God wants to do in Paul's life and with Paul's life. You know, in high school, uh, I was, you know, just a, a crazy kid going to, uh, you know, youth group every now and then. And uh, I remember my youth pastor one day, he just said to me, Brandon, you're going to make a great pastor. And I'll tell you what, that made me angry. I thought that was terrible. Like, what are you telling me? I'm going to be a pastor. I don't want to be a pastor. Pastors are boring. The church is kind of lame. I go to church because of friends. I'm not like you. You think I, I was, I mean, I was really kind of sideways. Like, why would you say that to me? I was super, super offended. And I'll tell you this. I don't know what he saw in me, but he saw something in me that I did not see in myself. And years later, as a pastor, I took him out to lunch and, uh, I just sat down with him and said, what did you see in me that made you say you're going to be in ministry one day? You're going to be a pastor one day. And uh, actually his, his answer was not helpful at all. He just said, I don't know. I just was calling out things that I saw in you. And like, I didn't get it in the moment, but I'm like, wow, if we could do that for each other, it would be amazing. If we could just call out the great things that we see in other people, if we could just call out the gifts that we see in other people, it actually might be life-changing for the person we're speaking to and we're encouraging. Ananias then pushes Paul to take his faith public. Look at verse 16. And now, why, like Paul, why are you delaying? What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of Jesus. I just want to bring some clarity here because it seems like things are a little out of order. We don't, we don't get baptized to wash away our sins. The wash away our sins actually goes with this sentence. You see the and. And so uh, he is calling for Paul to make a public profession of faith. You should be baptized so that everybody knows that the washing away of your sins has happened because of your calling on the name of Jesus. Salvation comes through Christ alone. No works that we can do. Baptism is just this, this uh, public expression. It's, I would say it this way. It's an outward expression of an inward condition. Baptism isn't a means of salvation. Baptism isn't even a recommendation. It's actually a command from Jesus. Uh, it's a public profession of our faith, and it's important for all of us. You know, Paul uh, is showing 
how he's no longer his old self. The old is gone and the new has come. And, and now he is showing the world that he is committed to a lifetime of pursuing Jesus instead of a lifestyle of persecuting Christians. And then Paul continues in his testimony. And in his testimony, he kind of skips over a few years. And what I think he's doing here for the crowd is getting to part of his story that's going to bring some clarity, some truth, and some calm to the mob. Verse 17, he says this, After I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple. Like this is so important for this crowd to know that he's not against the temple. He fell into a trance, he says. He says, I'm not against the temple by saying this. He's like, I'm not against traditions. It's like he's saying, I want everybody to know the law is good. The law shows us our need for a savior, but it does not bring salvation. Verse 18, and I saw him telling me in this vision, hurry and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. You know, Paul is, is kind of ready to share his story, but Jesus says not yet as he's sharing how his ministry has gone with Jesus in his life. He goes on to say, Lord, they know that in synagogue after synagogue, I had those who believed in you imprisoned and beaten. And he goes on to say, and when, when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I stood there giving approval and guarding the clothes of those who killed him. What Paul is doing here is he's saying, you know what? I thought I had an incredible testimony. And I was ready to go into Jerusalem. Jesus said, not yet. At this point in his life, as he's casting the story to the mob, to the crowd. You know, and what we can learn from this is that, you know what? Not everybody is going to respond to your story the way that you want them to. You know, Paul thought he had an amazing testimony. Just because you have an amazing testimony or some crazy testimony, it doesn't mean that everybody is going to be moved by it. But I'd also say, just because you feel like you have some tame testimony, it doesn't mean that it's not powerful. You know, at this point in Paul's story, God says, I got, I got different plans for you. Look at verses 21 and 22. He said to me, go because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. He's like, salvation isn't just for a people group. It's not for a person. It's not for an ethnic group. It is for everyone. And Paul, you are the best person to take this message to the ends of the earth. I want you to take this message to the Gentiles and this entire crowd. They had listened to him up to this point. You could hear a pin drop. The crowd was leaning in, but they couldn't take it anymore because by Paul saying this, he's basically saying, you are on the same level as Gentiles. And the Jews did not like that. They did not like Gentiles. This was disgusting to them. The Jews were, were uh, repulsed by putting uh, the Gentiles on the same level as, as they are. So the crowd, it just erupts. The crowd erupts. They listen to him up to this point. They raise their voices shouting, wipe this man off the face of the earth. He shouldn't be allowed to live. They wanted to kill him. But at that point, another riot breaks out. The, the, the soldiers swoop in and they, they grab Paul. They take him into protective custody, but they're really not taking him into protective custody to protect him. They, they actually want to interrogate him. They want to beat him. They want to try to draw the truth out of him. They want peace in the crowd, but they also want truth to understand why is all of this happening? You know, Paul was a Roman citizen, and that's actually what saved him from, from uh, this beating by these soldiers. You know, at this point, you know, things are completely out of hand, and, and his hands are, are literally chained. 
He's at the mercy of the mob. He's, he's at the mercy of the government. But what's interesting is, is Paul's not worried. He's not worried at all. Here's why, if you're taking notes. Paul chooses to stay faithful and trust God with the results. That's such a powerful example to you and I, for us to just be faithfully obedient to what God is calling to and just trust him with the results. You know, you and I, we can, we can control certain things, like we can control the, the input we give to a project, but we can't control the outcome. As hard as we try, we can never control the outcome. And Paul, he's just faithful. He's obedient and he trusts God with the results. I absolutely love this passage because, because Paul was as smart as they get. He, he's one of the best church leaders who has ever lived, and, and he did what each and every one of us can do. You know, he just shared a story. Some of us have gone through some crazy things, and we're on the other side of it, and we're actually better for it. While, while some of us are, are going through some crazy things, we're, we're working our way through a mess right now. And, and many of us, we have stories that, that maybe we don't want to relive that we don't want to, to share. We, we can't imagine a scenario where we would tell that part of our story. And I just want you to know this. Church, if that's you, I am not asking you to, to rip open a, a, an old wound. But I want you to know this. When you're ready, if you're ready, God may provide a time for you to share that story with somebody who's going through what you went through. And as terrible as it's been, you may be the right person with the right measure of understanding and empathy and encouragement to bring that person through the other side of a messy story. God can use your story if, you, if you'd let him, if you're ready to share it. You know, like Paul, we want to be wise when we share the story. We want to be wise with, with how we share our story. But, but some of us, we, we don't even know where to begin. And I think, I think Paul gives us a great guide for this. I'm just going to pop these three things up here. You've already taken notes. If you're a note taker, you've already taken them. But maybe just instead of he, change those to eyes. You know, what I was doing before Jesus. Look at, look at the way Paul shared his story. And then, and then you can just find like how I met Jesus. What is that moment that drew you to your knees and softened your heart? And, and finally, you know, that, that, the capstone to your story is, is who I'm becoming with Jesus. You know, your story, your story is authentic because it's yours. Like your story, uh, it's not up for debate. Nobody can debate you on your story because it happened to you. And, and it's not something that you need to memorize, right? Because, because you lived through it. And I would say this, let me just give you a little bit of, of help. You know, what life was like before Jesus. I just want to encourage you to be real. You know, uh, someone out there might be thinking, be real. My story is crazy boring. Nobody's going to listen to me. And I would say this, somebody will. Somebody out there needs to hear your tame testimony. You know, God has been using people to reach people for thousands and thousands of years. And I would just encourage you to be faithful with what God has given you and trust him with the results. Your story is the exact story that somebody needs to hear to know that even a person as boring as you needs Jesus, right? I mean, come on. I pray for boring stories. I pray for my kids to have boring testimonies. Uh, you know, how I met Jesus. 
Like this is like that Damascus Road moment. And I know somebody just was like, come on, if I got to compete with Paul's Damascus Road story, I'm out. I'm out. I'm not doing it. Uh, I've not had this wrestling moment with God. I haven't seen some bright light. I haven't heard. That's not what I'm saying. You've had an encounter with God, though. Your Damascus Road story is that encounter with God. And maybe it was a conversation at church when you were a kid. Maybe it's just like Romans 1.20 says, you know, we know that there's a God by the creation around us. You know, maybe it was a friend or a, a family member. Check this out in 2 Timothy uh, 3, verses 14 and 15. You know those who taught you. Like he's talking to Timothy saying, you know, uh, Lois and Eunice, uh, your, your grandmother, your mother, like you know those who taught you. Those are your family members. You know that from infancy, like you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It's like, I'm so thankful that you have known Jesus and you've known the scriptures and you've grown up in this home with people who are pointing you to Jesus. He heard the scriptures from family members. That might be your story. I pray for boring testimonies. I think it is so good when we're able to faithfully follow Jesus all of our lives. You know, God doesn't need our help to make our stories powerful. Our stories are powerful because of what Jesus did on the cross, not because of what we have done with our lives. Don't ever forget that. You know, stories uh, about sin that is not exciting still needs the sacrifice of Jesus to find forgiveness. You know, and I celebrate with those who have pulled themselves out of the messiest of situations, and, and I cheer on those who have the simplest of stories. Because in both of those stories, Jesus is the hero. And then, you know, using Paul's guide, who I became with Jesus. You, you might know this verse, you might not. Maybe jot it off to the side. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. With Jesus in your life, you are new. And, and he is doing something with your life. Right now, he is doing something in your life. God is working his great plan of redemption and transformation right before your very eyes. And you and I, we get to share that. So Ananias, he says to Paul this, I love this. He says, and now, he says, why are you delaying? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You know, in a few weeks, we are going to have a great celebration of transformed lives. We're going to have baptisms here at Valley Church in just a few weeks. And I hope that if you're ready to be baptized, that you would consider signing up, you know, getting involved, getting in there, because we want you to make that public profession of your faith. And when I say, are you ready? I'm saying it really is the next step after becoming a follower of Jesus. You know, we enter into a relationship with Christ and then we tell the world. And one of the ways we do that is through baptism. I want you to just sit back and check out this highlight video from uh, the last time we did baptisms here at Valley Church. Baptism is a powerful, powerful symbol of what has already happened on the inside is now testified and shown on the outside when we trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we celebrate today. Each one of these people have come to faith in Jesus and want to now publicly declare that they are followers of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to celebrate with them, so let's get started. 
I want to be baptized because I feel like my decision to accept Christ would be more publicly displayed. I want to get baptized today because I'm ready to take that next step in my faith. I want to get baptized because I want everyone to know that I am new, I'm born again, and I love the symbolism of dying and being resurrected and uh, having that new life in Christ. I want to get baptized because God is my savior and Satan no longer has a hold on me. How cool is it that I get to walk up on that stage to profess my faith in Jesus Christ? Let's go. That's just a small sample of stories that were shared you know, here at Valley Church. Uh, and I'm so excited for us to be able to hear more in the coming weeks. You know, as you think about baptism and as you think about preparing your story, I wanna remind you of something. And, and maybe this takes some of the pressure off of knowing your story and preparing your story. The power of your testimony is not from how bad your past was, it's from how good Jesus is. The power of your story and my story is that Jesus stepped in. He became the sacrifice. He became the redeemer. He took on the weight of our sin. He defeated sin and death by his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and through the resurrection. So you don't need pressure on your plate. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus today or you're interested in making a decision and talking with somebody on staff, just send an email to pray at valley.church. Uh, and we want to partner with you in prayer, but we also want to celebrate in your decisions. Love you guys. Have a great week.